Welcome to Lab, the podcast. Christian participation in culture is an integral part of how the life and beauty of the gospel fills the world. This show creates space for us to share time with people whose lives and work do just that. I hope you're inspired by the conversation. I hope you're challenged. And I hope you'll join us in sharing the life and beauty of the gospel with the world. This is Lab, the podcast. Hey, welcome to Lab, the podcast. I just started a wonderful new book the other day on the subject of reading well, and I'll save the title of that one for now, but in the first few chapters of the book, I could tell it was going to be great and maybe open the door for a future conversation, but in the beginning of the book, I came across this wonderful thought from Aristotle on reading well, and his idea is really that the mark of a good book has what he says in his words, satisfies a moral sense. And we, we'll dive deeper into that down the road. But I want to say this, words are powerful and stories invite us to see what otherwise might remain hidden or out of view, or we may be not willing or ready to talk about it. And that's why right now, storytellers uh, who help us ask the right questions, become more aware of uncomfortable realities, and even imagine new ways forward. That's why they are so important, critically important in our time to allow us to enter into these spaces and conversations. And my next guest today is an author using his gift and doing just that. Mark Owen is the author of Impact, a Near Future Inventive Science Fiction. And Mark was the founding CEO of clean tech company Purolytics, which pioneered drinking water technology for use in the developing world. And Fozion, I think I might have got that right, technology, which pioneered LED light so- sources for individ- industrial applications. He held business development, marketing, and engineering management roles at Allegiant Technologies, Electroscientific Industries, and Tektronics and was an engineering lecturer at the University of Limerick, Ireland. He has over 50 patents issued or pending, has published over 50 technical articles, and more than 1 billion, with a B, in revenues has been derived from products involving his patents. Mr. Owen holds a master's degree in advanced manufacturing, technology from the University of Limerick, Ireland, a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering degree from OIT, Oregon State University, and a Bible certificate from Multnomah School of the Bible. Mark was elected as a pivotal leader in Northwest Clean Tech community in 2012 and inducted into OSU's Engineering Hall of Fame in 2015. He retired from engineering and entrepreneurial career efforts and began writing science fiction in 2018. Impact is his debut sci-fi work published in June of 2021, which was a semifinalist for the CIBA Sinus Awards for New Science Fiction Writers. Mark has been married to his wife, Anne, for 39 years and has three adult children and three grandchildren. And he's a guy who, like me, loves to be out in the outdoors. He enjoys hiking in national parks. And unlike me, he is skilled with his hands. He does woodworking and all sorts of things. So, Mark, congratulations on the book. And I'm holding it in my hand. It's beautiful. Thank you so much for spending time with all of us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. I feel like your resume is like tailored for Lab the Podcast. This could be a second home for you because you're a guy, you've got roots in the dirt. You enjoy being close to the earth and yet you, your mind kind of drifts into the heavens. You've got faith. 
You're curious, you take risks, and you make stuff that brings life and beauty to the world. So all of that was kind of an interesting fit for me. And I thought, well, I might just turn the show over to you. But you are busy because now you're an author. When did that become a part of your story? I mean, I read back over that resume and I go, good grief. We could talk in any of those directions. But today we're going to focus on the book. When did author become part of your story? Yeah, I mean, I think technically I've uh, I'd written some papers and you know things like that. And I thought, well, maybe I would enjoy doing this more full time. I watched, you know, my my father was a uh, had some books that he wrote uh, in his retirement. My sister uh, writes young adult uh, fiction, and uh, so maybe it's a a family thing. <laughs> there's, so there's a little uh, bit there in the DNA. That's good. Yeah. So. Um, so, you know, that was part of it, but I, I think, uh, you know, I really, um, one of the things for me was I saw that science fiction had taken a darker turn than, uh, what I'd started with, uh, growing up. And, uh, you know, I, I felt like it, it was positive and forward looking and inventive and just exploring and it had become kind of darker. And I thought, you know, we should get back to that, uh, envisioning of a, of, of a future world that's better. Uh, so that was kind of a motivating factor. I think that's what's so uh, just wonderful. You hit the target with impact. And as a dad, I've got three daughters and a young son, and all of them are interested in different ways with the heavens and stars and planets. But I've got a little engineer in the works as well. And Cammie and I, my wife, we've had trouble. I mean, kids will bring home books from the library that maybe a friend recommended, and I'll pick them up and go, yeah, yes, and. You know, there's some good to it. There's great exposure, good conversation, but there's some other stuff that just does not have, like you said, a hopeful aim. So I'm grateful that you're doing the work. It takes time. And we're going to talk about the book. Before we do it, Let's go back. I want to fill in some of the backstory uh, for people who are listening because we go, how do you end up with the resume that we just described? And we kind of skim the surface with our resumes with what's helpful and and tells a part of the story. But I'm curious about Mark Owen in like junior high, high school. So quickly, give us a snapshot from your life before inventor, entrepreneur. Well, maybe it's not before, but go to the summer, like between <laughs> eighth and ninth grade. Who's that guy? Like in the right before <laughs> high school years, who would we have met if we met you at that moment? Yeah, that's a good one. I think I was, uh, I was a, a tiny guy, when, but I liked sports and, uh, you know, I was smaller than, most people my age and so you know sports like football didn't seem credible you know i did fencing gymnastics uh wrestling some of those running um so i was certainly active um and i was also um you know good at math uh and so i remember asking a teacher what do people who are good at math do and they said well they become engineers so i pictured you know that meant like uh you know driving a train um, I didn't really know what an engineer was at that time, <laughs> but uh, started me on that path at a young age of thinking, well, I'll be an engineer someday. So um, I did become a Christian right in that time frame, right before high school. And, uh, you know, I um, got inspired, um, you know, by 
things I was reading. And, you know, I, I read uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, Hobbit, and the Lord of the Rings all during those uh, uh, middle school, uh, pre-high school years. And, you know, just uh, the vision of uh, writers who really knew how to tell a good story, who were writing well and and had a vision of 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 exploring, uh, of, of, uh, fighting good versus evil and, and things were, were compelling to me. I, it's super interesting. You know, when, when I read your resume, when I hear you describe what you just, or just described with the Narnia series and, and good and evil and that tension, but as well as, Hey, I like math. I want to be an engineer. And you've got this entrepreneurial thing down, um, and the capacity not just to build and to imagine, but to focus on details and to capture technical stuff. Your book is some of the reviews for Impact. Actually, the the praise that came out for it was that you actually know what you're talking about. That there's some technical uh, stuff in the book that makes sense and. You know, as I was reading, I was like, well, I don't know if this could all be true or plausible, but science-minded people seem to affirm the book in that way as well. So you've got this cool left and right hemisphere thing going, which is pretty rare, I think. It's it's curious to me. Is there a dominant side to you? Like you've got the creative entrepreneur side and you're an engineer and you've been successful in that space. A, is there a dominant side? B, do you, how do you flow kind of back and forth without like exploding your brain? <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's the, the concept that, you know, left brain people are, are, uh, engineers and accountants and right brain people are artists and writers and musicians and, and near the twain shall meet. Um, and I think, you know, that's not always been true in history, and I don't think it's necessarily true with us. It's just we tend to show expertise in something, and then and when we develop that and maybe um, neglect other parts of, of who we are. You know, I think of, um, you know, Leonardo da Vinci. Um, most people think of him as a great artist and, uh, you know, an amazing, brilliant painter, which is kind of the artist side. But... Um, he was almost always employed as an engineer, um, and his he was he worked um, as he was a brilliant mathematician, scientist, engineer. Created you know things in uh, military things and and uh, you know for uh, automation type things um, and gadgets and things that that are were really hundreds of years ahead of their time. And so I think there's an example of somebody who you know clearly is uh, ex- excelling on both sides of that brain. Mm. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I wouldn't compare, compare myself to Da Vinci in any way, but I just think you do encourage one side or the other. I, in my, inside, I think of myself as an inventor, mm. but I've never actually been employed as an inventor. I've been employed as an engineer and as an educator and a manager and a executive and an entrepreneur, um, but never as an inventor. Um, and, uh, so maybe, maybe, uh, fiction writing will be a chance to, uh, use my inventive mind (laughs) primarily. So when you describe that, Da Vinci was a great example that brilliantly said, I mean, we can immediately go, Oh yeah, 
great, I see this. And Ian McGilchrist in The Master and His Emissary kind of describes that infinity flow back from left to right, and right in the center is that beautiful place where they're drawing equally from both of those. And that's we are, in our world, we just don't talk enough, I think, about the benefit of both. I think Da Vinci gives us a beautiful picture of it. I think your work gives us a beautiful picture of it, that I can be an engineer and I can write, I can dream, I can read, I can be creative. And the inventor side of me draws from maybe the what I can't see in imagination more. I imagine that living like that in a world that prefers neat and tidy boxes may create tension did you find that those two sides of you slowed you down in your work or got you into trouble or caused you to like meander and you, you know, there was other people in the commuter lane, maybe cranking out, you know, you've got enough patents under your belt, but did you, did you experience that tension at all? Or is it now reflecting back that you go, huh? Interesting. I may have, you know, had a broader grasp, but that cost me in some ways. Yeah, I, I definitely think um, as an entrepreneur, I was never the uh, driven capitalist that uh, investors wanted, the uh, uh, you know, <laughs> clear-thinking leader that only wanted to go one direction that employees wanted. Um, you know, those things definitely uh, came up in my career as, you know, I – chase new ideas and <laughs> pursue uh, other things that would detract maybe from the overall objective of the business. Um, and yet, you know, there was success there and, and, uh, uh, you know, people who were intrigued by, uh, by that as well. So, yeah, well, good ideas win the day. And I, I think about your LED solution for clean water in developing countries. That was one of the first things that I found out about your work. And I was just like, wow, amazing, first of all. And thank you for, again, not being driven only by capitalism. And that's not bad I, to have that layer, but you were thinking in a different way and bringing a product to bear that kind of consumer good, common good intersection. And that's important. So we could, maybe we'll set that aside because we could do a whole podcast on, on your work in that space. But I want to talk about the book. Tell us about impact, uh, why this story and why right now? And I think those are two things I'm curious about. So give us a little backdrop about the story without giving it away for everybody who hasn't read it. But, you know, and then why, why did you choose to write this particular story and why was right now the time to write it? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I I think um, you know in my childhood one of the one of the series that was uh, uh, intriguing to me was Star Trek, and you know there the creators were intentionally confronting um, issues of racism and sexism and dealing with equality, colonialism, um, and exploring universe and, and mysteries and connecting with new peoples all in this one uh, show. And I thought that that positive view of the future was kind of foundational to my image of what science fiction was all about. So as I saw things veer in the decades since uh, into darker areas, you know, post-apocalyptic zombie, alien invasion, oppressive governments, you know, this kind of stuff – morally conflicted superheroes, I thought, wow, it would really nice to 
capture that positive vision of the future in my writing. So that was certainly a motivating factor. I think one of the timing sequences that made me think about it was when the Martian came out Mm -hmm. and uh, the Martian, um, unlike other science fiction, the Martian is really an engineering problem. (laughs) You know, a a guy gets stranded on Mars and uh, he has to solve a whole series of complex technical problems in order to get himself saved by and off the planet uh, alive. And, you know, that idea of a a series of uh, engineering problems that has to be solved um, uh, was intriguing to me. And I think, you know, was, had a fan following. Um, And, uh, you know, I think it was motivating if people like this, they might like my writing because Mm -hmm. I see myself as being more, not a science fiction, (laughs) but more of an engineering fiction, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, solving problems, um, with science and technology that are uh, in the near near future. So I see that as a, uh, a stepping stone to that. So, you know, I thought maybe, maybe this would be the time. Maybe this is, maybe it's acceptable in our culture to write engineering fiction. <laughs> so um, that, that got me started on it. I think uh, some of the issues that I uh, wanted to address have to do with, um, you know, my engineering and entrepreneurial background, I really think that a lot of the problems that we see in our world are solvable. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're solvable with practical technical solutions. They don't need government intervention and, and social uh, activation, you know, social activities. They need good technical solutions that are, are available and could be solved. And, you know, there's... Uh, there's groups out there working on that, like X prizes, um, where they take, you know, problems uh, like water in the developing world, and they, and they get, you know, people to think about it in a creative way in order to solve uh, for a prize. So they might win uh, money to help develop their ideas, and that's been engaging a lot of entrepreneurs and inventors to solve those kind of problems where there wasn't really any motivation. Um, to do it other than your own drive. And um, so I think I thought, well, those, those are a lot of those problems that we could get out there. You know, we could, uh, we could have the pan nationals who are the kind of the stars of this book. They're orphans who have been um, raised to um, believe that they can have a mission and a purpose in their life addressing um, humanity's most intractable problems. So they're kind of the, the heroes in this book, the protagonists, and they've, they've been trained and uh, equipped to be, to go after those. So they're driven. Uh, they have a purpose and a mission and um, they're, they're going out to solve uh, problems uh, that haven't been solved. So in the book, I'm able to bring up um, different problems that, that they've addressed and, and, uh, in the, in the series, I hope to address more and, and sort of envision that these problems are solvable and they could be solved by a creative mind pursuing them uh, with a good solution. Mm. Mark, I'm listening and I'm like just stepping back and celebrating. I hope everybody is hearing 
some of the the powerful things you said star trek you know we used it, it was addressing these things i remember getting a buck rogers doll <laughs> when i was young like nobody mm-hmm. will even know who buck rogers is probably but yeah. i oh, i remember opening that up and it there was a sense of optimism and adventure and heroism in that and right again there's layers this podcast could go for 9 hours because in our cultural moment a writer stepping back into, as Aristotle said, writing that satisfies a moral sense where there is a sense of clarity, where a young person, you know, as college student, somebody could pick up this book and be inspired, not only at the head and hands level, but at the heart level. This is the power of writing. And we have, in some ways, stepped back. I've talked to the Fellowship of Performing Arts group, and one of their greatest needs, they said, is we need writers. We need screenplays. We need stories that do satisfy that moral sense. And Mark, you went right at it. Your book is is doing that and addressing it. And so for our audience, you're probably listening and you're settling in. We usually are talking to authors who are writing from theology perspectives or philosophy or psychology. Those are their lanes. That's typically where we're hanging out. And yet I think your fiction work and near near future, I love that term, like standing on the threshold, peering over and saying, look, there's there's some solvable problems, but that calls us forward into something. I don't know if there's a more important way to get about what we need to get about than what you're doing. You Your story allows us to explore a couple important kind of challenging themes and from a safe distance, but th- those near future issues. What are some of those themes or ideas that you were kind of wrestling with and as an inventor, as a tech space person going, hey, there's some stuff that we should be thinking about. And again, you've given us a little setup to the characters in the book. Um, but what are some of those issues that you were like, yeah, I'm going to this story. We're going to touch on some of this stuff that we should be thinking about. Yeah, that's good. I, I you know, I think science fiction is a kind of a unique uh, venue that almost always has deep philosophical and political overtones in the work. And uh, so, you know, science fiction readers are looking for that too. Hmm. They, they want a good story, a space opera, you know, battle in space or whatever. Um, but they're really looking for um, that, you know, and, and the great science fiction stories um, always have those philosophical um, and political overtones. So, you know, I, I started with, first of all, you know, the pan-nationals are all orphans and they're given special training and driven to a purpose to address intractable problems. So I think right now we're in a pandemic. Pandemics killed, you know, 5 million people worldwide mm-hmm. and 1.5 million new orphans uh, who have lost one of their primary caregivers to COVID mm-hmm. um, have been created. And, you know, they get lost. You know, what we're thinking about this is, is, you know, it's business, it's schools, it's all these other issues. But, but there's a, right? And those orphans, are they going to be able to live as their best selves? And so part mm-hmm. of what I wanted to highlight, you know, um, that orphans, you know, often we hope that they'll just be normal. You know, they might have a chance to achieve a, a reasonable life, but we don't really give them the chance to pursue their best life. And so 
nationals are addressing that. They're they're giving them a chance to be leaders. Um, and so that was one part of what I was aiming at. Um, and then part of their education is to pick a life mission, a cause that is worth solving that makes the world a better place. And so there's hundreds of problems like that. Um, you know, I worked on drinking water in the developing world, but they could and can and should be addressed in our lifetime. And so I thought, you know, give each of these uh, Penn Nationals their own life mission and purpose that's, that drives them uh, with passion and show that they can solve uh, um, difficult problems in, in their life um, and give that vision out there. Mm-hmm. I think I also wanted to explore that we do have life with a purpose we can and we should and can step into it. So impact is one stage <clears throat> of, of their life. Um, and if you recall in the book, they have this phrase, Irawa, that they say to each other. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's about the five different stages, uh, of life and, and how your, your purpose and your goals in that stage might change, um, as you go through your life impact being, uh, one of those stages. So that was kind of my, uh, thing that we all have, uh, stages in of our life and in seasons and we might have different pursuits in different seasons my next one is called wisdom Hmm. and wisdom is you know uh, a a stage of life in some ways i mean you you go to more senior more elder uh, people and to ask questions of of what's important how do i solve this based on your experience based on your wisdom how do i address this issue in my life. And so I think that uh, was part of it. I also wanted to explore what I think is a really common problem in our world today, and that is sort of the cult of scientism. Um, Mm. So, you know, we can solve many and should solve many problems with technology, but there's also this growing kind of religious belief in science, that science is not only the source of truth, um, it is the only source of truth, and it's always right. Mm. Um, and so, you know, within the science fiction community, I often see uh, that they view themselves, the readers view themselves as the scientific elite, mm. that they're smarter than the politicians, the power brokers of the world, and they're not influenced by the mythologies of all the world's religions. And so, you know, this scientism has built into it kind of a bigotry and elitism and is, and is pretty cultish. Mm. Um, and it's, that's a dangerous combination. So I have to tread softly as I, as I confront that intelligently without being rejected <laughs> as I, as I write to that exact community. So, yeah. Hearing those kind of deeper layers woven in into impact uh, and then looking at the projects you mentioned, you know, uh, water in the developing world, there's this idea that we have purpose, that there are problems that can be solved, human flourishing that, you know, we can contribute to, but yet intention that we, you know, science cannot become scientism, it can't to be divorced from theology and maybe uh, the other disciplines without kind of getting wonky. 
you, again, I get excited when I see somebody who's got a depth of wisdom and knowledge writing um, from, and writing in a way, you mentioned Narnia, but Lewis does this, deeply informed by his faith and perspective, and yet giving us a beautiful story. How, I think that some people, some of us struggle because we compartmentalize our faith and we part, we have practices of our faith and we, we haven't given enough time and attention to allow faith, maybe our theological um, understandings to kind of seep in and to permeate. We're not porous enough to allow those to kind of color those other parts of us that, that God's given us. How have you allowed that kind of saturation to happen? Because what, when Mark says a sentence, uh, you can hear it. There's there's layers. There's presuppositions behind what he's saying. There's ideas. There's heart and head stuff that's all flowing from this kind of vision, and that's a gift. We uh, that's when I talk about Christian faithful Christian presence in the world. That's Mark looks like that. That's what it looks like. It looks like Mark. Mark, how did you? How did your faith? How did you do that? Are there habits? Are there practices? Is it luck? Is it maturity and time? How did you get that level of just comfortable, kind of porous, um, permeating that allows you to say, let's talk about water? And it's deeply informed by your faith, but you, you get where I'm going. How did that happen? Yeah, I think, you know, as a, as a young Christian, as a young engineer, you know, I, I, I was trying to figure out how do you live your faith in a, in a, in a business world and, you know, I tried different things. You know, I tried leading the office Bible study and, and uh, just trying to be uh, an excellent uh, employee and, and honest and have integrity. Um, and, you know, those have various, those were various steps, I think, in, in my process of that. Um, I think there was one time when I was leading a team of about 45 engineers and uh, we were developing this piece of equipment that we were introducing uh, at an industry trade show. And so everybody in the team is working overtime. We're trying hard to get the best possible product that we can introduce. And we made it. We made it to the show. And as I looked around, I saw five other products from competitive companies aimed at the exact same problem. And so I thought, you know, we just spent $2 million and 45 engineers for years working towards this goal. And so did those other companies. And I thought, wow, as capitalism works, uh, you know, one of these are going to get most of the market. Two others are going to get some of the market. And the other two are going to pick up scraps and pieces and hope that their next product will be the one that breaks them into the market. Hmm. And, you know, it just it just struck me what a what a tremendous waste of human capital all of us solving the same problem was. <laughs> it just seemed, you know, and, and I was, I was participating in this waste of human capital, you know, and I thought, wouldn't it be better if we could address uh, something more? I, so I kind of moved at that point in my career. I wanted to, to solve, you know, some in, environmental, social or other issue simultaneously with, developing, uh, you know, good product for an industry. Um, and I think, you know, as I looked also, I, I thought about, you know, 
we, we, many of us believe that our government will fix our problems or our military or the social movement of the day. But in my life, I've rarely seen those deliver substantial results. I mean, they, I've hoped for them. I've, I've voted for them. I've act, been active with them, but they just, you know, don't often deliver. Yeah. And whereas during that same time, I've seen engineers and scientists and entrepreneurs and and NGOs working to address major progress on environment and develop vaccines and then somehow figure out how to make hundreds of billions of them you know, in a short period of time. Um, you know, water treatment, air quality, safety, efficiency in different industries and better cars and uh, equity in access to information. And so in, during the same time where governments have been dealing with, you know, things like abortion and racial relations and, and uh, in military colonialism globally, um, you know, during the same time those have been being debated in my whole life, um, I've seen really significant solutions on the technical side. And so I kind of thought well, maybe as a profession empowered by faith, it's the best way to change the world for mm. good. Mm. And, and so that kind of drove me to say, well, why don't I use my gifts and my strengths and my abilities in a way that helps the world be a better place? And so that informed later um, business opportunities and, um, and also my writing. So that's kind of my pivot for my career. Mm. <laughs> I hear you describe that life and I want to celebrate it and say like, yes, this is what we're talking about. This is what we, what we need and want and desire. I'm going to ask a, a question. I want you to be brutally honest because you're on the, the other side of that career now uh, in the Jedi stage where you get to imagine and write and <laughs> is there, did, did it work? I mean, nothing's perfect, but are, are you leaving the vocational engineering side with a sense of optimism? Like, yeah, it's possible. I've seen us develop products that we can bring to market that do have a return, that do bring value to investors and do honor, you know, the the time and the treasure that, that it takes to stand something up and to bring it to market and at the same time address social good, you know, or common good. Are you at a stage of life where you're like, no, listen, for everybody who's an engineering student right now or they're working at a desk trying to think about traffic flow or something in a different way, are you hopeful, optimistic that, yeah, there is space there? Or are you still kind of leaning against the wind going, no, I hope it's possible, but I haven't seen it as much? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I've, uh, once a year I go down to Oregon State and I get to address the uh, new engineering students. And one of the things that Oregon State has added and several other colleges is a humanities engineering uh, program where um, their whole training is not to develop uh, high-tech products for um, wealthy companies, but to really address some of the developing world uh, problems um, and, and solve or solve problems in a more uh, uh, human way. Uh, human positive way. And so it's been encouraging to see um, this pivot in the educational 
none of that was available when I went to school. Mm. They didn't even talk about that. You know, it was like better cars, better refrigerators, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And uh, you chose um, you chose streams that were, uh, you know, automotive or, you know, things like that. So now, um, you know, they're looking at how can robots uh, assist people in, in uh, or, or people who are impaired in some way. You know, how can... How can uh, they solve uh, cooking smoke in the developing world and, you know, that kind of thing. So um, very encouraging seeing where it's going. At the same time, having having tried to solve a problem, you know, uh, in the developing world of water, you do see all the barriers that are in place. Um, you know, if you have a product and you want to ship it to someplace, there isn't uh, Amazon delivery, and next-day delivery that goes right up to the door of somebody's house in Uganda, right? Mm. So they have a whole infrastructure problem that isn't solved well enough. Plus there's often corruption in all of the channels. Um, and, and there's not enough um, money to even buy the cheapest solution to a problem. And so I think that's where we've seen, you know, after you get outside the big cities where there tends to be government and money and, and uh, resources, um, you know, you start to see the NGO organizations being the only ones working outside of those areas. And so you get uh, faith-based organizations that are helping people get safe drinking water and medical help and and other things uh, outside of those city areas where there's money available. So Hmm. before, you know, I, I, I envisioned that we could build an economy um, where you have products that serve that market, and with the small resources they have, they can they can buy them and sustain them and grow and 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 things. And yet that part's still kind of broken. Uh, um, you know, it's like often the NGOs um, are a little bit fractured. You know, you work with one group in one country. Um, it doesn't mean that that solution, even successful in one country, is going to be communicated to their peer in another country to solve the same problem. So, you know, Wycliffe Bible translators or Red Cross or, you know, any of these different groups that have aids Mm. that do aid work in those countries, they don't communicate with their own organization in the next country. Mm. (laughs) They're organized with country leaders who solve that country's problems. And so uh, it doesn't have that scaling uh, thing yet in place. But I am hopeful. I think uh, we're seeing lots of positive steps. I think uh, another one that, you know, kind of breaks your heart a little bit. I remember as a kid, you know, um, collecting money for UNICEF on mm-hmm. <laughs> Halloween, you know, trick-or-treat mm-hmm. for UNICEF or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, but a lot of the United Nations organizations, you know, um, they're not really trying to give um, – drinking water that they would give to their grandchildren to the people in the developing world. Mm-hmm. They're trying to give them something better than what um, they have. So it's kind of like the most good for the most people is their driving motivation, which doesn't mean safe water. It means better water. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they wouldn't drink the water that they serve to people in the developing world. Um, and they're staying in a five-star hotel and drinking bottled water while they're in that country, mm. right? And so that passion to really get 
safe water, good water, uh, to the to the end of the chain, uh, is not part of the United Nations and and the other organizations doing that for the most part. It's only the uh, faith-based NGOs that are really going the distance and trying to get out there. And they're often not as well-funded or as well-trained tr- um, to solve the technical problems that might be in those situations. So, you know, there's still barriers, but I, I'm hopeful because there's a whole generation of, of engineers and scientists who are trying to solve those problems, <laughs> who want to. And I think uh, that's our best hope for the future. Yeah, well... <laughs> There's reason to hope, you know, just the shift in in the academic climate is an indicator of that. The fact we're having a podcast, you and I are talking, you're a career uh, inventor, engineer, entrepreneur, and now writing, helping the imagination. So something is happening. When I heard you describe that, it's going to require an ecosystem. You know, we we have to have a technical and uh, the tech industry, you know, partnering with a political industry and the NGOs and each of the supply chain and logistics. There's somebody listening tonight. You're in finance. You're driving home from work. You're in the political space. Your aspirations are somewhere else. You're an NGO it, it's going to require this, a unified heart, new imagination, new vision, that faithful Christian presence in the world to say, hey, I can't leave it to Mark in the engineering community. The tech solution is not going to solve this. It's going to require new thinking. And somebody out there, you're going to participate, and your participation is going to marry and match up with Mark's participation and people in the engineering discipline, the people at OSU that are developing these things. And so it's hopeful. Uh, and uh, it matters. It matters so much. And so, again, thank you for bringing us to that um, through writing, right? Like we have a book yeah. and you were telling a story and it's inspiring our kids and grandkids. And writing is, it's a, it's a different discipline. What did you learn about yourself? What surprised you? Did, you know, you've seen so many sides of yourself through all the different projects. What did writing bring out that you went like, oh, didn't notice that before <laughs> engaging was, in a two-year I was program. thinking about, you know, who, who says my career, who, my job is harder than most people? <laughs> who says that? And there are people that say that, you know, you hear nurses say that, you hear uh, pastors say that, right? <laughs> you, you hear uh, a different rule, but, but writers often play, you think, well, what could be, I mean, writers just sit in a room and write, you know, it's like, what's hard about that? Uh, but I think, you know, there's these doubts uh, that happen to every writer. Am I a good enough writer? Are my characters really real? Is my science and technology right? You know, will people like my story? How do I know when it's done? You know, yeah. and uh, I think every writer struggles with those questions, and often they they get crippled by them. You know, there's probably a lot of good ri- books that have been written <laughs> that ever see the light of day uh, because uh, they 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 get they can't get over that. And you know, I think for me um, uh, addressing that, one of the things that helped me was shortly after I. Retired from my main profession and uh, and started writing. Um, my father died, mm-hmm. and um, I knew that he'd written a a single mystery novel back in the 1970s, and uh, that uh, you know the publishing company that published it uh, went out of business, so it just kind of died. Mm-hmm. Um, what I didn't know is that he also written 
uh, three and a half other works um, during the years after that that had never uh, been published. And I didn't know it. I mean, <laughs> and so we found these drafts and, and as part of my my grief and therapy, I, uh, you know, went and decided I'm going to stop my writing. I'm going to work on publishing these books of my dad's. And so um, I've published uh, two more, uh, republished the first one and, and published the two more of the, of the book called the John and Sarah Todd mysteries mm. by Jack Owen. And they're kind of a, uh, a cozy amateur sleuth series. Um, and he was a man of faith. And so you can kind of see that in his, uh, in his writing as well. So, um, but in doing that, it was, it was therapeutic for me. Um, but, uh, but once I was done, I was like, okay, I can, I can finish my own novel. I can mm. do this, mm. <laughs> you know? And so that sort of helped me get to the end. What a beautiful story and tribute, um, just to the role your dad played in this, you know, that, that fear of fear and doubt, you know, entering the arena, Brene Brown, you know, it's tough for a creative to share what they've kind of birthed within them and to know that you overcame it kind of with your dad's help there in the invitation to to publish. That's, that's pretty beautiful. Give us the title of his books again. And can we find them? Can we access those on Amazon? Yeah, they're all available on Amazon. Uh, It's the John and Sarah Todd mysteries okay. the series uh, by Jack Owen and uh, and there's three books in the series the first one's called mystery on in the high cascades it takes place in Oregon mm. um, the second one is uh, mystery in the uh, mystery on Scotland tour uh, in Scotland and the third one is mystery on larch mountain um and uh you know they're uh, they're light they're fun and they're very much my dad and and my mom they're both the characters are very much my mom and dad so <laughs> it's no <still> my family <laughs> <laughs> i love it well you had me at oregon and then you doubled down with scotland because i've got scottish and oregonian in me and so yeah i'm I'm on my way already, and I've got kids, like I said, that, that a mystery series we're in. Yeah, there you go. When can we so. expect wisdom? Wisdom is book two. And yes. so, first of all, if somebody wants to go out, I want you to go out and get impact. Um, for some of you, you're going, who am I buying this book for? Is it for me? Is it for my kids? Is it for my brother who's an engineer? So really quick, and this is a pesky question that my publisher pressed me, like, Zach, who are you writing to? Always that was in front of us. Right. When you were thinking about where this book would land on a nightstand somewhere, uh, who absolutely should go right now and grab the book and they'll just fall in love with it. And then maybe who's been looking for a book like this and maybe didn't know it, but it might be the book that they're looking for. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly envisioned um, um, mid career professionals who are trying to decide what the purpose of their life is. Mm. Um, you know, so there's certainly there's that uh, daunting uh, engineer scientist who, 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 uh, who's looking for escapism from a, a boring <laughs> or a, a, a career that's stuck. But I also envisioned it being for that, um, that 
a high schooler and right before high school uh, and college age um, who are, you know, trying to find their purpose in life and, and, and just love a good uh, sci-fi story, have any uh, two negative elements uh, in it. So, yeah. Available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target. I, I looked and I found it everywhere. So we can get book one on all of those platforms. Please go download the book. The title is Impact, Mark D. Owen. And I, I love it for those two audiences, and I'm going to add one. I do this habit practice that I have called wonder reading. A lot of the books that I read are in a different space and that muscle is getting worked all the time. And sometimes it's just fatigued and I'll try to go to bed at night and crack open one of my books and I just, it's what I'm in all day. And so I I have this thing called wonder reading where I just give myself permission to enter a space with a fiction story or a, a totally different story and it allow it's almost like play therapy it's almost like going out for recess and just to enter a space that you normally wouldn't inhabit and so for me uh, a near future sci-fi it was awesome just to have something that brought me into a character driven story with a good moral sense and yet yeah, here it is using words and language and ideas that are not my normal discipline so the book is impact. Go grab it. Mark book two wisdom. If, if somebody grabs book one and they're one of these people who goes, well, I want to read book one, but I'm going to wait till it's closer to book two. When is book two coming out? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the first book took me uh, most of three years. So, um, but I think that uh, I'm hoping I'm about a third of the way through through the next book. And I'm hoping that I'll have it ready to publish uh, by about the summer by next summer. So, um, a lot of work to do and, uh, we'll see, um, yeah. what the, uh, yeah, what other things. They, they never come time. as fast as we want them to like book two. Yeah. I would love to publish it tomorrow, but I got some work yeah. to do. And the when right. to know when it's done is the, uh, it's the sticky one. Yeah. You know that. And yeah. it's like, you can always think of ways to make it better. And, uh, uh, you know. and then you publish um, it and then you think of more ways and you go, Oh, oh I want to yeah. go back. Yeah. Yeah, or it's like already have you know you find a typo or or something, yep. misspelled word or something. You're going, oh, but then I you know I've noticed them now. I as I read classics, uh, you know, I've been really trying to read a lot more books uh, this this last year just to get me up to speed <laughs> in this field. And uh, but you notice those in in classics as well. So uh, I'm sure there's mistakes in the Lord of the Rings and Chronicles of Narnia if I if I could find them. <laughs> If they're if they're there, we don't even qualify them as mistakes. Yeah, it's just beauty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, hey, I want to give you the last word. Uh, you mentioned it, you touched on it, but we're you know there's a lot of us struggling with fear in our kind of moment. It's complex. It's changing. It's increasingly technological for some of us that's really frightening just in and of itself because we're kind of afraid of losing something beautiful and rich about the human experience and here in, a, in the west autonomy and freedom and all these things are kind of stirring around right now i'm wondering what, what do you say you mentioned vaccine development is just one like it happens so fast and part of us yeah. wants to celebrate that but part of us just, we can't catch up and time is being compressed so fast and that, and technology is making it possible for us to leap forward that it's hard for some of us to catch up. 
What do you say for, for those of us who are struggling like that and we're going, man, how do I live trusting in the beautiful and optimistic vision, leaning into that, and yet feeling like I'm just being pulled so far so fast by these technological developments? How have you kind of help us out? How do we think well about what's happening culturally and, and kind of ask the right questions in that, in that space? Yeah, I think, um, you know, whatever your job and your skills and your abilities are, you can make choices to impact the world around you in a more positive way. You know, and personally, I start each day reading the Bible and praying about how I can serve God and others today. And, you know, over time, I think that that sinks in. You know, you you start to see uh, the opportunities clear and ways that you can contribute um, more clearly. Um, they often require setting something else down that doesn't move you closer to that space. Um, and also it, taking action towards uh, that opportunity. Um, I think finding an organization that you can give money to support is a good start. I mean, it, it engages you in doing something real today. Um, before you know how else you can get involved. Hmm. And then, you know, I think, you know, God will lead you as you seek and use your youth and passion and informed purpose. Um, they're very much needed in the world. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I had a friend who wrote a song um, that says, what, are your, what is worth giving your life to? Um, and is it really worth the price? And you're going to give it, you're going to give your life to something, right? Mm -hmm. You are. Um, so choose something that's worth that cost. And, you know, for me, I choose faith. I choose family. I choose to live a life of purpose. And I think there's, there's fulfilling happiness there where there often is only frustration when those things aren't present. And so, you know, that's, that's my, uh, I hope. <laughs> mm, that's beautiful. Bob Dylan, everybody serves somebody. You, you're going to yeah. be faithful to something. serve somebody. Yeah. 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 Mark, thank you so much. Uh, I love it. I love what you've done. I love the book that you brought uh, into our homes and, and the things that you've contributed to in the world. And, and I think OSU did a good job inducting you into the Hall of Fame there. I'm glad that you get a regular voice back into those young engineering minds. Uh, I can't wait to see what's up around the corner. Uh, I'm grateful that there's men and women like you out there inhabiting these spaces and conversations. And I'm really grateful that you're willing to give up your time, which is so valuable to just hang out and just be with us. So keep being and keep doing and keep helping, helping us imagine a near future, which is crazy to say, but it really is a near future uh, so that when it shows up, we're ready for what becomes the now. So Mark, thank you so much. Thank you, Zach. Hey, thanks for joining us for the conversation. We're so grateful to share this time with you. And even more than that, we're grateful that you make visible the life and beauty of the gospel. It's happening all over the world through each of you. So don't grow weary. And until our next conversation, make sure you like, subscribe, follow the podcast, follow us on Instagram. Check out VUVIVO to learn more about our work. And we'll see you back here for Lab the Podcast next time.